So chapter 11. For us as humans, it is difficult to understand how wonderful the feral activity of getting down and dirty was for the bolds. Although they were on a mission to save poor Tony, the nightly visit to the tunnel and the frantic digging getting covered in muck and filth was to them a form of liberation like a caged bird suddenly being allowed to fly free in the endless sky. The bolds were happier than they could have ever imagined. The only sad part was washing off all the mud when they got home each morning. Bobby and Betty had to be reminded to walk primarily on their hind legs again, and Fred had to stop himself rubbing his rump on the garden gate. The only worry was the troublesome Mr. McNumpty, who not only seemed to observe them leaving the house late at night, but also saw them returning caked in dry mud. But Mr. Bold knew there was nothing they could do about their nosy neighbour. What they did was their own business, and Mr. McNumpty could be as curious as he wanted. He would never know what they'd been up to. The tunnel, meanwhile, was progressing according to Fred's plan. It was, roughly speaking, a round tube, about a metre and a half in diameter. Some tree roots dangled down in the places. Water trickled in and formed puddles. Moles peeked in through the walls occasionally, wondering what was going on. But it seemed sturdy enough. After all, it only had to last a couple more days. And then Tony could be transported out of the safari park to the safety of Fairfield Road. On Monday afternoon, Mr. Bold visited the safari park again, and Boo and Ina, who had to wake up by beeping his horn because they were so tired from their nightly exorations, said things were going excellently from their end too. If everything went according to the plan, the two tunnels should join up on Tuesday night. They came, uh, Tony came to speak to Fred too. Thank you. He said, his eyes watering with emotion. From the bottom of my heart, I promise I will be no trouble to you and your family. What you're doing for me is so kind. I can't think how I can repay you. But you don't think anything could go wrong, do you? He looked worried. Fred shook his head reassuringly. Don't you worry about a thing, Tony. It all's under control and we're looking forward to having you. You will have a lovely life with us. We've got the spare room all ready for you. A nice comfy bed, litter tray, dog biscuits. You'll be very happy, I promise. It was Tuesday afternoon and not long before the night of the final dig when the two tunnels should meet and Tony could make his escape. By now, Mr. McNumpty was convinced there was something very sinister going on with his next door neighbours. What possible explanation could there be for such a strange nocturnal activities? Grave robbers, he wondered darkly. He even went to the local cemetery to see if there was any evidence, but there was no sign of anything much. Mr. Bold was right, though. There was no law against going out at night, and there wasn't anything Mr. McNumpty could do about it. That afternoon, Minnie came over, dragging a large black bin liner. I got as messy, many big bones as I could, she said a little breathlessly. From the back room at my dad's shop, where they cut all the meat up, Fred peered inside and licked his lips. There were big, juicy bones and ribs, perfect for fueling the safari park keepers. Well done, Minnie, he said, restraining himself from having a quick nibble. They'll think that this is all that's left of poor Tony. He placed the bin liner carefully by the front door. I think this calls for a few butcher jokes. Listen up, everyone. He cleared his throat and waited until everyone was listening eagerly. <clears throat> what happened when the butcher baked into the bacon, bacon slicer? He got a little behind with his work. Everyone laughed heartily and asked for another joke. Let me see, said Fred. Ah, yes. Two butchers in a kayak were a bit chilly, so they lit a fire and the kayak sank. Which just goes to show, doesn't it? You can't have your kayak and eat it. 
before the bulbs left for the final dig that night. Fred gathered them all around the kitchen table and checked the time. What does a clock do when it's hungry? Goes back four seconds. Betty and Bobby giggled seriously. Their father continued. We're nearly home and dry, folks, and all well in a few hours. Time our work will be done and we'll be welcoming a new member to our family. Hooray, said Bobby. Yes, indeed, said Mr. Bold. But I just want to run through a few things. Firstly, Paul Tonley is a hyena like us. He hasn't yet learned to disguise that fact. We need to be careful. We are being watched, and I think you know to whom I'm referring. Nosy McNumpty, said Betty without hesitation. Yes, said Mr. Bold. His eyes began to twinkle, which usually meant he was about to tell another joke. What do you call a man who lends his tools to the next door neighbour? A sore loser. Oh, really, Fred, said Amelia, smiling. This is no joking matter. Sorry, couldn't resist, said Fred. Seriously, though, we shall have to keep our curtains drawn and Tony mustn't go for a runabout in the garden unless we are all sure the coast is clear. Understood? Yes, sir, said the twins. Mr. McNumpty knows we are up to something, so we have to be extra careful. And it's going to take poor Tony a while to adjust, added Mrs. Bolt. He is old and probably wise, but he has never lived in a house before. We must be patient and understanding with him. He'll need a toilet training, amongst other things. Mr. Bolt nodded in agreement, then said, Why did the toilet paper roll down the hill? To get to the bottom. Ha ha ha, said Bobby. Want another one, asked his father. Oh, go on then, said Mrs. Bolt, but quickly. Then we really must be off. Here goes, said Fred. Some thieves broke into the police station and stole the toilet. The police are investigating, but for now, they've got nothing to go on. A short while later, carrying the bin liner full of bones and the torch, they set off, Mr. McNumpty glowering at them from his bedroom window. There was a thunderstorm going on that night, so the work was even muddier than usual. It was a particularly tough going, and all the bolts were exhausted. After two hours of doing ten minute digging each, all four bolts were down in the tunnel together, streaked with glistening mud and sweat, their clothes soaked and gleamed to them. Then they heard a noise. Hush, said Mr. Bold suddenly. What's that? He shone a torch around the walls of the tunnel, and then they heard it again, a faint scratching noise coming from the light ahead of them. This is it, we're nearly there. We're nearly through, he whispered. Look. The wall of the earth crumbled slightly before their eyes and the scratching sounded louder. Boo, Ina. Mr. called. It's Fred. The scratching stopped and a faint hello could be heard. Stand back, said Mr. Bold, and he began scraping frantically at the earth for a few minutes until suddenly a hole appeared and a big brown eye looked through them at them. Who's there? asked Mr. Bold. Boo. Boo who? Boo. Mr. Bold couldn't help himself. Boo-hoo, don't cry, I didn't mean to scare you, he joked. Bobby snorted with laughter. It's Boo, silly, said Betty. Yes, of course it is. Who do you think it was, the Prime Minister? Panted Boo. We've done it, cried Bobby. Mrs. Bold was almost in tears with excitement. Within moments, the hole was wide enough for Boo, Ina, and then, with a few moans and groans, poor Tony to climb through. And although it was a tight squeeze... They all slipped about hugging each other and congratulating themselves. In the confusion there was even a bit of bottom sniffing going on, but all the hyenas were so euphoric, who could blame them? 
There is no time to lose, said Mr. Bond. Once the greetings were over, Tony had better say his goodbyes and then we'll get him into the car and away to Fairfield Road. The Bolds all stood respectfully while Boo and Ina kissed Tony goodbye. We will miss you more than you'll ever know, said Ina, tenderly licking his face. Me too, said Tony, holding back his tears. Tell the pups I love them and we'll be along to see them soon. Boo was next. He nuzzled him in a manly way. Goodbye, old fella, he said. We'll be seeing you. We'll look after him, don't you worry, Mrs. Bold said. Fred passed Boo the bin liner full of bones. Chew on these a bit, he instructed, then scattered them around the enclosure. With any luck, the keepers will think you've eaten poor Tony. Never mind about our reputation, sniffed Ina, although her mouth was watering at the thought of all those tasty bones to gnaw on. It was the best idea I could come up with, said Fred. Now quickly, Tony, come with us. Remember, you two, lock up the tunnel at your end as soon as you get back. His plan was to guide Tony and Tony along the tunnel to the entrance, then bundle him up in an old sack and into the car, in case anyone was passing and thought a hyena was walking along the pavement was suspicious. Tony turned to take a last look at Boo and Ina, and just at that moment, the torchlight flickered and died, plunging everyone into darkness. Oh no, groaned Betty, now we can barely see a thing. Don't panic, said Mr. Bold. There's only one direction we can go in. We can hardly get lost. Come on, everyone. The Bolds and Tony went in one direction, while Boo and Ina returned to the hyena enclosure in the opposite direction with the bin bag full of bones. But just as they neared the end, there was a sinister rumbling noise from above them, and a clod of of damp earth began falling on everyone's head. They all stood still in the pitch black, wondering what was happening. Who's throwing things? asked Mrs. Bold. This is no time for games. Oh no, it's not that, said Mr. Bold. It's the tunnel. I think it's collapsing. The rain has soaked the earth and made it much heavier. We must be quick. But at that moment, a huge lump the size of a football fell from the ceiling and landed on Tony's shoulder. Ouch, groaned Tony and he began to pant. The cascade of mud, earth and dirty brown water continued to plop all around him. I can reach the ceiling if I stand on tiptoe, said to Biddy to her father. Bobby, you do the same. We can hold the ceiling while we're up to get Tony out. Be quick, though. Bobby reached up, and it was true. With their paws spread out, they could both feel the slimy wet roof of the tunnel. I can feel it moving and crackling, grasped Bobby. Hurry! Hyenas can see more in the dark than humans, but muddy water was now stinging their eyes, and the trickle through the twin paws was fast becoming a torrent. I'm frightened, did Tony, who hadn't left the safety of the hardy enclosure for many years and now was wishing he was back there. We'll help you, Tony, said Mrs. Bold. Fred, you pull him from the front and I'll push him from the back. Please hurry, said Bobby. Dudes, this tunnel is nearly busted, said Betty in her voice, weak with strain of holding up the heavy mud ceiling. The water was now to everyone's waists and there was a lot of sloshing and grunting as Fred and Amelia coaxed a frightened Tony along as quickly as arthritic, wet, scared hyena can go. But after several tense minutes, tripping and sliding in the darkness, Moonlight appeared at the end of the tunnel. <coughs> Mr. Bold ran ahead. We've made it, he called back. You can let go now, twins, but listen, scramble out of the way the second you can. There is no time to lose. We don't want that tunnel to collapse on top of you, whatever happens. I'll count to three, then we'll get to go together and run for it, instructed a very like little Betty. Okay, said Body who could barely speak, his limbs hurt so much. There came a deep groan from above them. One, two, three, shouted Betty, and the twins dived towards the tunnel entrance, half running, half swimming through the ghastly thick sludge. Betty, Bobby, called Mrs. Bold, my children. 
The ceiling collapsed behind them in an avalanche of splashing and crashing. They made it out in the nick of time as the twins fell exhausted against their parents. A final belch of filthy grey mud spat over everyone. They were safe and the tunnel was no more. There was a quiet for a moment. Then Bobby and Betty began to giggle with relief. That was a narrow squeak, said Mrs. Bold. Look at you both. You're going to need a bath with bubbles. Who's bubbles? asked Mr. Bold. And everyone had a good laugh which was just what was needed after such drama. But then Mr. Bold announced that they had ought to get themselves back to Fairfield Road before anyone had saw them. It wouldn't be long before the sun came up. Mr. Bold got the old sack ready and called to a rather bewildered Tony. Here, he said, jump in until we get you safely home. It was hard to tell in the gloom, but from poor Tony's groaning and muttering, he seemed to be safely in the sack. Mrs. Bold and the twins then tidied up the entrance to the collapsed tunnel, so it looked as if they'd never been there, and Mr. Bold hoisted the heavy sack on his shoulders, and the grubby convoy made their way cautiously back to their car and set off home. When Mr. Bold carried the sack containing Tony from the car into the house, a wide-eyed Mr. McNumpty looked on in horror. What were these people? Burglars? Once safely inside, Tony clambered up and out, sat on the sofa, looking nervously around. Would you like a drink of milk, dear? asked Mrs. Bold. You've been through quite an ordeal. Oh, yes, I'll try one, said Tony, blinking and scratching at the mud with his tummy with his hind leg. Shall I get you a bucket of water? asked Bobby helpfully. Give you a bit of a wash down? Thank you, said Tony. Suddenly, Betty let out a high-pitched scream. The sack! It just moved, she said, running to her father. Goodness, so it did, agreed Mr. Bolt. There's something in there. That will be Miranda, said Tony. She's probably peckish, and I don't suppose you have any grapes handy, do you? Miranda? said Mrs. Bolt, astonished. Who's Miranda? Let me introduce you, Tony reached inside the sack and brought out a tiny baby grey monkey with white fluffy ears, big black shiny eyes, and a long striped tail. She immediately jumped onto Tony's shoulders and peered at the bolts nervously. This is Miranda, everyone, said Tony. She was a marmoset monkey, an orphan. But what the, said Mr. Bold. The other monkeys rejected her, so she attached herself to me for some reason. When she heard I was leaving the safari park, all the animals knew about it, you see. She cried and cried until I said she could come with me. I'm sorry I didn't tell you before. I was worried in case she said no. Please let her stay. She'll be no bother. She's lovely, said Betty, stroking Miranda gently. Go on, mum. Let her stay. Please, Dad. The more the merry, I guess, said Mr. Bold. <coughs> Mrs. Bold agreed. Thank you, thank you, chorused Tony and Betty. The dear little girl, I'll cut up some grapes, said Mrs. Bold. Does she speak? Just baby talk at the moment, explained Tony. But she's learning fast. She'll soon get used to you all. What do you call a monkey with a banana in each ear? Anything you like. She can't hear you. After enjoying a nibble on some grapes, Miranda made a few content contented squeaks and settled down for a rest against Tony. It's been quite a night, said Mr. Bob. Shall I show you to your room, Tony? And Miranda. I think it's time we all had a wash and some sleep. Tell us a joke first, Dad, asked Bobby. Mr. Bold laughed and then looked over at Miranda for saying, where did, babies mon- where did baby monkeys sleep? Apricots. Okay, chapter 12. Let's just have a quick break. Let's stop.